Welcome to episode 44 of the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and my able co-host, Oliver Jones. In this episode, we speak to Freddie McNamara, CEO and founder of Cover. Recorded remotely while safely ensconced in a Scottish castle, Freddie talks us through Cover's master plan for fixing a broken insurance industry. Their unique consumer-first and flexible approach to insurance offers a glimpse of what the future of consumer insurance products will look like and has won the company huge popularity among customers and investors alike. Still recorded remotely, we apologise for some of the sound quality, but without further ado, we bring you Freddie McNamara. Okay, everyone. We're we're here today with Freddie McNamara, founder of Cover. Freddie, thanks for thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me, Ollie. Um, so to kick off, could you give us a a brief potted history of your of your background in in the in the build up to Cover? Yep. So I uh, I live between the Highlands of Scotland and London. Uh, so I grew up uh, grew up in London between the Highlands of Scotland and. Uh, I, w- I went to school in Oxfordshire and then I went to Edinburgh University, um, uh, read biology and graduated in 2010 uh, and, uh, and left to uh, start my first business. Which presumably wasn't cover or it was? It was not cover, no. <laughs> cover, cover, I think it was my third business. Okay. <laughs> so, how, what, so to tell us about the, you know, the intervening years between 2010 and, and cover. Okay. Uh, so I, I left university and went to I went to London and got a job uh, for a very small company, um, raising very small amounts of capital for early stage companies. And I realised within about ten minutes that I actually wanted to be on the on the other side of the table running the businesses. So I sure. I left my job and moved back to Scotland and and started a business at a uh, at a like a, a country house just outside Edinburgh where I created a cookery school and a wedding venue and a small sort of hospitality venue. And uh, I spent two or three years building, building, up, building up that business. And, uh, and while I was doing that, I also started up a small renewable energy consultancy, um, and both, both of which happened, happened before cover. Was it, with the renewable energy, was that leveraging your background in biology? Um, so I'd always had a, had, a, had, a, had a strong interest in renewable energy. And yeah, I did do quite a lot of um, uh, renewable sort of climate change stuff while I was at university. Um, but this was specific, specifically to solve a problem that happened in sort of rural countryside, northern locations where we have uh, um, uh, effectively lots of, lots of houses close together all burning oil. And we wanted to convert that to, to wood fuel. Uh, which we did. Uh, and how on earth did this all lead to cover then? So I, I, I was spending sort of four or five years after university out in the countryside and I had a car, uh, but not everyone had a car and I constantly needed people to either borrow my car or I needed to borrow other people's cars. And every single time I spent had to spend sort of half an hour on the phone to an insurer to, to allow that to happen, especially when, when in the business context and i just kept getting annoyed by this problem that just there was this large company down down in london somewhere that was preventing me from doing something immediately that i wanted to do and uh, I, I thought it was in a really interesting area of focus and i wanted my next business to be a technology-backed business 
and uh, I thought this was a really good area to uh, to focus on. I mean, there's a lot of self-belief that comes with that. I, I think what I like is since leaving university, you've taken a chance of things. So before getting going with cover, I mean, was it was it reasonably easy, reasonably easy for you to assume that the insurance industry has been around for ages and, and it was it had already been thought about? And how did you manage to get through that process of working out that actually there was a genuine opportunity here and it wasn't something that some other companies had looked at and then shelved? Um, so I, I'm, I have no doubt that other companies looked at it. I think lots of other, like, I, I think I remember pitching it to a friend and he said, I came up with that idea two years ago. It's impossible. <laughs> I was like, okay, doesn't mean it's yours. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think the point was that no, nobody was doing it. Uh, and um, drill down later with why insurance companies um, uh, don't do innovative stuff. But um, uh, I, did, I didn't think at the time that there was any reason why I shouldn't be able to go and investigate this as a project. It wasn't a business to start off with. It was a, why doesn't this exist? And I spent actually the first kind of year or so walking into meetings that I managed to get with the most senior car insurance people in the in the land and saying why can't you do this why is it why is this illegal and um none of them came up with a particularly good answer so uh uh so 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 we just kept going effectively and what was it allowed that allowed you to sort of advance from those early conversations into okay wow this is this is actually a business and you know we're building a team we're raising money so before we needed to build a team or raise money, so I actually decided to do it with a friend of mine from school originally, and so we, we spent we spent the time sort of doing it, doing it together, and we decided that before we needed to do anything, we just needed to find an insurance company that was willing to work with us because we weren't we weren't going to go and you know start an insurance company off the bat. Um, <laughs> so that was relatively easy. Um, we just did a load of sort of executive style work uh trying to understand the market understand the product and build a map a product process to um to sort of outline how we think it would work and then we'd go into meetings with as many senior executives in the insurance industry as we could we could manage to sort of get to give us an hour of their time and then we'd say sort of why doesn't this work and they'd come back with you know, all of these reasons why actually it's sort of very difficult and dangerous thing to do um and uh, and then we go and sort of think about the the ecosystem of what was available in terms of the technology and and then layer that on to the product process um and then take it back into the next meeting with the next executive and say oh yeah we solved these problems by you know, using the camera on the phone or using the location or uh using this api that's being developed by the government and they'd be like, okay, right, okay, but the, here are some other problems. And we just keep doing that. So it was kind of a traditional product management process that we were running with our customers as the underwriters of the product in order to get to a stage where they were willing to do something with us and, and you know, create, create an agreement. And so what we were looking for in the first year was an insurance company to give us an Excel spreadsheet that said how much this should cost. And we would then be able to build the platform around that um and uh and do a do a, do a deal with them get regulated get financed get get funding and so everything that we did beyond that would be kind of fundable because we have the initial traction of having uh an agreement in principle with an insurance company to write this 
um, should we manage to get everything else lined up? I'm going to just take this opportunity just to people listening. Um, can you give us like just the 30 second gambit on cover as you <laughs> dive straight in. explained today? So yeah, a cover, we believe that insurance is broken. Uh, it's the same old product sold as a commodity, it's the same old companies with the same result. Uh, um, we've built an app uh, from the future that grants access to radically better insurance products uh, with the aim of making uh, making cars multiplayer. Uh, so today you can you can use the app to buy an hour of insurance to borrow a friend's car or a rolling subscription to in, uh, to buy insurance on your own car. And so we're combining some of the best aspects of insurance and technology to make a product that creates trust between car owners and car borrowers and sort of opening up millions of possibilities in terms of what you can actually do with your car. And does it require a, a hefty premium uh, from the customer? For that, for that level of flexibility? Uh, so um, on average, an hour of car insurance costs between five and 10 pounds. Um, so uh, that's designed, I mean, when you, when you sort of average it up to a year, if you were paying 10 pounds for every hour of uh, driving you did, that, that would be quite expensive. But the risk on the underwriter's side, on the, on the insurance carrier side is actually quite high from someone just, some random people just ju jumping into a random car. So they need sort of a good amount of premium to compensate them for that. And in terms of in terms of like looking at it from their perspective, insurance in the UK is unlimited liability. So if you jump into a car and, and have a crash, there is no limit to the amount that they can pay out. And if they've only got five pounds, um, uh, they're, they're, they're in a sort of pretty, pretty sticky situation. So they have to have quite a, quite a lot of these sold to be able to, uh, to make up the difference between that and and what about on the the sort of the rolling monthly product how does that compare versus a an annual policy in terms of price yeah uh so rolling so there's kind of a tr there's kind of a trade-off between flexibility and price like the more flexible a product the more expensive it is because because of a bunch of different insurance reasons and what we're trying to do is actually bring the flexible product down to the same price as the inflexible product. And, and that is definitely a journey for us. Uh, there, are, there are segments of customers who will get a, uh, like a competitive price by the market at the moment, and some customers who will get more expensive pricing. Um, but uh, but over, over the next six months to a year, we'll, we'll be sort of bringing it much, much more, more in line. I'm, I'm particularly interested in that because and like how you're going to get to that point. So with my business, uh, we, we operate a platform allowing customers to subscribe to an electric car on a monthly basis um, with the insurance and everything else wrapped in. And our intention is to, to give people that level of flexibility, but also the affordability that they get with a, a longer term lease. And getting to that point is, isn't easy. Um, so I'm interested to see how, or to hear how how you think over the next few months you can get to that point um so it's it's almost impossible for um uh for for, for a normal insurance company to do this it's, it actually probably is completely impossible um because there are a bunch of costs associated with the flexibility so uh uh, traditionally, in an annual insurance policy, the first 14 to 24 days is when you'll have actually quite a lot of claims, and then uh, you'll have you'll, you'll have a sort of trough, and then you'll have a bit more like more claims in the sort of first start of the second quarter, and uh, it's kind of called the bow wave effect um, in insurance terms. 
and you need the premium in the bank to be able to sort of pay for those both of those waves um especially if somebody's crashed their car and they no longer have a car um that uh you, you don't get the premium back for the rest of the year and that actually goes to pay for the for the incident but if you have a monthly rolling subscription you're no longer going to get all of the premium for the rest of the year which means that you've got to find that somewhere else and we're finding it through much much more granular understanding of the risk of the customer and, uh, and we're doing that because we have a mobile app so uh so we're doing it via, via the mobile app um we get we get access to far far more uh information about you um obviously with your permission and uh completely transparently and uh and, and we're able to use that information to make sure that we're getting the right price for the risk at, at all the right times and Freddie, what is it that drives those initial claims in that first window in the, for, for the Bowways? Quite a lot of fraud, but also quite a lot of getting into a new car that you haven't necessarily driven before, which is also why short-term motor insurance is more expensive. Will you be able to build up profiles on customer using customers using, say, telematic data um, that builds up a profile of that individual over time and maybe even can price according to... I don't know, certain cars, let's say Zipcar uses Golfs and people are more familiar with that model of car and it seemed to be a, a safer everyday car to drive. Would you then price that into the future of your insurance policies? So we, we do price the, the type of car into the insurance policy. Like if you're jumping into a Ferrari, it's going to cost more than jumping into a Ford mm. Fiesta. Um, that's probably enough than uh, in terms of like what what type of cars you're used to, but there, there there is probably a rating factor to be to be pulled out there. The key the key here for us is the financial inclusion aspect. There are there are millions and millions of people who have no credit history in the UK. They have um, no driving history. They've got no no claims bonus. They uh, they come from a postcode that insurers think is crap, and they come from a segment of the population that insurance uh, think is crap. And they are effectively completely excluded from the market by the pricing engines that currently are currently employed. And we think that there are large segments of people in those uh, uh, in those populations that deserve to be able to drive and deserve to be able to have the choice to be able to say, well, actually, here is my driving behavior. Here are a bunch of a uh, bunch of pieces of information that no other insurer would have seen. Would you like to use this to be able to actually give me a price that I can afford? And so we, we used we used tons and tons of stuff. It's it's not like telematics database, um, uh, sort of tiny tiny proportion, but we, like we used uh, loads and loads of different touch points with the customer, so that we can have a much much deeper relationship with the customer. Um, I mean, we, we have a customer operations team who uh, will respond to you within one minute if you get in touch with them, twenty four hours a day, and uh, and uh, that team absolutely sort of does get to know. Uh, our customers on a, on a really granular level and um, uh, and we also have you sort of taking pictures of cars and taking selfies and um, uh, like uh, location check-ins when you buy a policy and all of this builds a picture that allows us to say actually the market's mispricing that person and it's unfair and we uh, we can give them a better price. I wanted to ask a bit about um, about the brand and because I, I noticed earlier that the language you use to describe the insurance space broken that's that's very strong language is that like a something that you've uh, a way of expressing it that you like actively encourage within the company it's like you're setting yourselves up versus uh, the incumbents rather than a sort of more i don't know collaborative approach the way in, we we think the way insurance is 
is bought and sold today is broken. Um, and it's not necessarily broken by the insurers. They're kind of beholden to uh, the, the, what, what the market has created, the, the, sort of the, the beast that is the, sort of the price comparison website driven, stack them high, sell them cheap commodity insurance market. And there's, there's really nothing that they can do about it. I mean, the biggest problem in insurance at the moment is that over the last 20 years, the insurers have actually lost all of the access to their customers. Um, the price comparison website sort of came to came to dominance in the mid 2000s and now 80% of insurance policies are bought through the price comparison websites, which means that insurers don't control their own their own uh, customer acquisition process. And they don't even see the customer really until they come to claim, um, which means that they don't have to create like great experiences. They don't have to create innovative products. All, all they have to do is go and focus in their sort of ivory towers on pulling uh, sort of very, very advanced data-driven levers uh, around pricing and underwriting of risks. And they've, they've completely dissociated themselves from the fact that they've actually got a product as well. Mm. And that actually product can be brought to bear, especially with modern technology, to, uh, to make the product far better for customers and include far more of them and, uh, and actually reflect customers' needs, like the way people buy and own cars, I mean, uh, as, as, as you know from your business yourself, is changing. Um, and, uh, and the insurance products out there don't, I mean, at the moment, they don't reflect that more than one other person might want to drive that vehicle. Like, how crazy is that? You're buying a £20,000 asset that, like, by default, can't be driven by other people because of the way the insurance insurance process works. And so when you first went and um, approached these senior execs at the insurance companies and you became aware of how they did things currently, was it a, a real technological gap that they'd missed out on that you were able to fill with, with you know, mobile technology, APIs, et cetera? Was it a lack of willingness or is it kind of that Pareto's law of, of basically 20% of the, the, the countries? insurable population gives them 80% of the revenues and therefore the additional bit on top was not that interesting to them. So large insurance companies today are like finely tuned, massive machines. And they are all operating at the like the very razor thin margin of um, like <clears throat> getting the data scientists to enrich data, add more data, go and find more databases, um, uh, like pull it all together and then and then try and try and squeeze an extra margin. And like I think Aviva have a team of like tens of people who are all sitting there working out what the price elasticity of customers who, uh, when they come into a price comparison website look like, or coming to their own uh, their own website on on their various different brands, um, and uh, how how much that customer is willing to pay based on their sort of uh, where they've come from, what what all of their data looks like, and and they're kind of like relentlessly optimizing for the wrong things. They should mm. be optimizing for things that make the product better for their customers rather than rather than sort of marginally uh, like t taking taking a tiny, tiny bit more margin because they can find that, you know, because I've logged on from an IP address in West London or wherever it might be, uh, that, that I might be able to pay five pounds more for an insurance policy. And uh, I mean, it, it comes down to the very core as well that like insurers are generally very suspicious of new things 
Um, their entire business is selling a product that they don't know how much has cost them until three years later. And, uh, and they, they port a lot of that suspicion away from the core product into the actual business as well. And that's how they run the businesses as well. It's like, well, okay, you want to do this new thing. All right. I'd like to see five years of data, please at scale. It's like, okay, this is a new thing. <laughs> it's difficult to uh, come up with five years of data at scale. Can we just like, you know, put our finger in the air and say, we think it could be about there and then iterate that on a very fast, fast cycle basis to make sure that we don't end up losing too much money and making too much money. And suddenly they're in a zone that, that feels very, very uncomfortable. And they say, okay, maybe we'll pass until we've got a bit more data here. And, so, and then they miss the, uh, the initial, um, initial opportunity and it goes somewhere else. So, so for you, when pitching your, your new offering, what was, what was the actual timeline to convincing someone to underwrite you? Uh, so it took one year to find somebody who was willing to, uh, to give us a go. And that was, that was spent um, pitching and repitching and iterating, uh, literally just a, like a, like a flow chart of how the product would work. And I take the flow chart into each new meeting and be like, this is how it works. What do you think? Okay, right. Well, um, here are some problems. Okay, we, we go and change change the way the app works in the flowchart. Um, I mean, I, I think we spent five hundred quid our first year, mm. uh, so it, it it's it's not it's not expensive. I mean, apart from in your time um, to uh, to get to to get to some sort of initial partner traction. Um, obviously, the expensive bit comes later when you want to actually build the um, build the thing. Did you slightly predate the InsurTech rush? Because I, I guess being able to get in early with an idea like that, now it seems like a lot of people attacking the insurance industry and they might, you know, the, the expected outcome or product that was being pitched might need to be a sort of finalized app or build. Whereas it sounds like you caught it at a time where you, you really did show the market something that, there was, that was new and quite innovative. The, the word insurtech hadn't been coined when uh, when I was when yeah. I was knocking on doors and people were still very much opening doors. I think the I think the flood now of people coming around and pitching stuff to insurers has made them uh, kind of close up a bit, and um, especially with some uh, with, with with some stuff that they've seen that potentially hasn't worked as well. I think um, eye watering losses. Um, on on some products you know, from across the pond has made them think hmm, maybe like I think there's a, like a general feeling that maybe uh, we haven't seen any like massive winners yet, and that uh, maybe it's a uh, it's a bit of a red herring from their uh, initial business. So I think other, there's been a lot of a lot of consolidation and actually um, doors have more more closed than opened recently. I think. So what did that initial angel round look like? Who who backed you? Um, what were you backed on the basis of? Was it still that sort of um, mock-up that you had in a few discussions? Um, so what, what stage were you at and who took a chance on what you were offering? So I, I put all of my savings from uh, my first two businesses into oh, wow. getting uh, getting something that worked because I knew that no one was going to back us without anything that worked. So uh uh, so I put literally everything on the line to get a product that worked day one, and you could buy an insurance product uh, that was that cost like fifty grand um, to to get there. Oh my god! Um, wow! 
And once I had something that worked, I then went and pitched literally everyone who would take a meeting. And I was down in London talking to all the early stage VCs and they were like, mm, interesting. Because uh, remember this was up in Edinburgh, like, I was doing this up in Edinburgh because I was trying to do this on a complete shoestring and I was doing this like on the premises of my last business. And we had like this tiny little office in, uh, in Edinburgh and I was just on the plane down every single week to go and talk to, uh, talk to early stage VCs. They all said no in London. Uh, but then I found an angel syndicate in Edinburgh, um, who, uh, who had been newly created and they said, Freddie, this, uh, this would be our first investment and that you're the first person that walked in the door. And I've been told not to invest in the first person that walks in the door, <laughs> but I am going to invest in you. <laughs> I was like, thank you. <laughs> I think it's going to be good. If they're one for one, they'll be absolutely laughing. That'll be outperform most angel syndicates by a long way. <laughs> um, the one for one, sorry. As in their first angel investment, if they've just left oh, it, yeah, yeah, just yeah, back yeah. you if, and nobody if, else. If, if, they, if they'd left it there, if they'd left it there, I wonder. Yeah. Wonder. Um, but that they were able to give us the cash to be able to, um, you know, hire a few people into the team. It was just me and my um, co-founder my co-founder from school had dropped out and i brought in a new co-founder james as technical co-founder um after year one and when you were pitching what, what drivers were you pointing to for the you know the the short-term flexible insurance market what drivers were i pointing to? I, I was just basically saying look we've done all this research we think oh, there's a huge market here um uh and actually the the kind of the demand side in insurance is super easy because you, you know where product market fit is um, because it's where the insurance gets cheaper than what the alternative is, right? And so then that, especially in like annual insurance, um, that's where you just unlock unlimited demand. Um, so the demand side is much, much easier than the supply side, which is the underwriting side, which is you know, long-term building relationships, building trust, building a, uh, building a, like a really well bottomed out, uh, financial burn, burn down model for the uh, for the actual insurance product, and I think the combination of actually having created that relationship, building an app that was live and was actually selling insurance, although um, because I designed it myself, it wasn't particularly good. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just I was like, okay, well, we need designs for the app. I was like, okay, right, I'll wireframe it and then send it to some designer to make it look pretty, and then we built it, which was. Um, um, <laughs> quite a new thing to do but um yeah we then had to throw that one away and build another one which was actually designed by a real designer um uh but that was enough to be able to get the first sort of uh, that first angel check was four hundred thousand pounds which is uh which is enough which was enough to get us going we then joined barclays Techstars, a tech accelerator in london came out did demo day and and we then raised another one and a half million quid from uh some early stage vcs local globe in uh in uh, in london and then we were suddenly a, a london-based technology company with a team and some cash and uh, and that was able to uh, we were able to use that to to get to the next stage and then you did a, when... a 15 million series a last year yeah so uh 15 million quid in november last year um which was actually quite a long gap between um seed and series series a and uh, that's because we were really really iterating a lot to try and find product market fit because um, it was all about kind of scaling the, uh, the, the the borrower business and our insurance to borrow a car. But we were trying to work out 
how to, how, how to satisfy the owner market as well uh, in, in a way that actually made sense and was, was sort of competitive within what is an extremely competitive market um, so that we could bring those two together and actually change the way people lend and borrow cars in the same in the same place. And when were you confident in your yourself that you really hit that inflection point? You're like, right, this, this is growing. Because, I mean, obviously, between that 1.5 million brand and 15, I'm guessing that people... It was January 2017 when we started growing 80% month on month, uh, which was uh, uh, which is a fantastic, uh, fantastic feeling. We were like, right, okay, we've, we've managed to iterate our short-term product to something that looks like product market fit. We don't know what product market fit looks like until you see it. Well, we saw it and it was 80% growth a month. Um, just that was actually funny. It's just people just like fl- flocking in and huge, huge numbers of people sort of telling their friends, bringing their friends in and, and, <clears throat> um, uh, and buying the product. I mean, the fantastic thing about this business is that it, it has a business model at its core. So we're not trying to build loads of eyeballs and then trying to convert it into into business later like we know that we're doing well because where people are buying our insurance and that also gives us the cash flow to build new stuff as well it's it's also got a referral engine built in at its core because if i want to borrow a friend's car or have a conversation about borrowing a friend's car i can immediately sell them on the idea that i could use cover to insure myself and then they know about cover and then anybody else who borrows their car so the there's a sort of conversational viral spread that goes on as well for people who need access to those assets. And finding that, I think, super important um, to get to product market fit, finding a way of getting your customers to become your marketing team is 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 the only way to build like a, a properly big scale um, consumer product. As uh, Because otherwise you're just... Um, kind of taking taking millions of pounds of cash and putting it into a, a marketing machine that is competed against by everyone else in the market you have you, if, if you're going to do the same thing as everyone and expect the same results then uh, then that's madness and you're at three percent market penetration now um well so <laughs> uh that's kind of one of the uh like this is how big we are scale metrics we put out um and uh okay we, we kind of sell i think it's about five percent of all uk motor insurance by number of policies but we're selling them about an hour at a time and everyone else is selling them a year at a time so it doesn't sort of quite quite match up in terms of our penetration in the short-term market um it's actually quite difficult to know because uh the short-term market is um quite fragmented there are lots of different ways you can borrow a car you can ring up your insurer um and get yourself added to the policy and i know that some insurance major insurance companies like double their support staff every christmas to be able to answer the phones uh from all the people calling up to add their kids who've just come back home for christmas to the to the policy and they do the same at easter um and and there are uh, a few sort of legacy uh, short-term insurance companies as well who, who sell quite a lot of insurance just uh, just on the web so um, I don't know what what proportion of the market we have of, of, of sort of the, the borrowers um, but uh, but I, but I know that it's it's sort of much much bigger than it seems and how do you view your your competition in that part of the market because I'm actually I'm, I'm reliably informed by uh, so flock Cover are one of our partners at Elmo, um, and and Ed, the CEO, has, has told me that there's a WhatsApp group 
which I think you must be part of with with a number of others um, all operating and, and sniffing around in a, in, a, in a similar sort of area. Uh, what happens in the uh, InsureTech Founders WhatsApp group stays in the... <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I'm sure it does. <laughs> but, but what I mean to say is, is, there's, is a sort of healthy respect for, for what you're all trying to achieve in, in the space. Um, is it, 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 presumably it's not a, uh, a market where there can only be one winner or, or are you, or are you all doing something insurance sufficiently is, different? Insurance is like, it's like saying, oh, there's going to be one winner in FinTech. Like FinTech yeah. is a thousand different markets. There's, you know, B2C banks. And then there's, uh, there's people who are like reimagining the way, uh, payroll works uh well, reimagining the way uh, accounting works like um there are there are so many different segments within insurance that they're actually in individual businesses that bear almost no relationship to each other whatsoever uh and i think there are like several of us coming at car insurance but i don't even see what they're doing in car insurance is directly relational to what we're doing in car car insurance because car insurance alone as a segment it's like 12 billion pounds in the UK there's there's room for a, for a load a load of people who are all targeting just a tiny little two 300 400 million pound segment and we'd still never even meet um, mm. uh, it's it's it, it's it's that bigger it's that big an issue um, and when, when you when you sort of look at people in health insurance or cycle insurance or home insurance it's just like well that's a completely different world so we have similar problems sometimes but um, uh, and it's useful to be able to sort of as a group come together and and say okay how did you what was the tax treatment for this you know line item on the balance sheet um, um, and uh, and just generally be helpful to each other because we know that we'll sort of we'll, we'll pass like ships in the night compared to the uh, compared to the the, the, the enormous you know like Aviva that's the that's the competition Admiral uh, it's uh, it's not each other. But you're, you're expanding outwards, am I correct? So there was talk of travel insurance, et cetera. So I guess with a 10-year time horizon for your own personal ambitions, uh, how will Cover continue to grow and succeed and, and take your slice of the market? Uh, so for now, we're, we're definitely focusing on how to make sure that cars are as multiplayer as they can be, um, using using radically better insurance as a tool to do that. Um we would love to be in, in in a decade's time the place where you just go to go to on your phone and be become the sort of the button for insurance on your phone. Um, uh, but uh, but it, it is sort of like going into different industries. We test tons of things all of the time uh, to understand different markets, and we we tested travel insurance and uh, um, Corona kind of put put that to bed a little bit uh, for the moment. Uh, it will be back, but um, when the international travel market went went haywire, we thought actually um, uh, we've done our test, we've got our data back and uh, we can uh, uh, we, we can we can pause this one while uh, while the mayhem ensues. Um, uh, but uh, but we, we we look at tons and tons of stuff the other the whole time and it's not we're not looking at competitors, we're looking at our customers and going, what is the next best thing that problem that we can we can solve for you and did did COVID affect uh, in any way the the demand for for short-term car insurance well sort of during the lockdowns where it was illegal to leave your house 
Um, not many people needed to borrow cars. Uh, but then subsequently... Dominic lockdowns. Cummings. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, actually, I wonder if he... He was probably in short with that role. Um, uh, but after, after lockdown, we saw a lot of people wanting to sort of get out of get out of town go uh, get you know get, go on road trips staycations we, we saw a lot of people who didn't want to see want to use public transport so net net for us i think it's kind of been almost almost even uh, on our on our original plan for the year which is we're in a really lucky place um hmm. I've, I've been dealing with a company recently called car share and we also raised money for hire car back in uh, back in the day my question to you is those are very much working towards their side of the sharing economy where you can have keyless technology to open a neighbor's car or, or somebody in your area's car. What's your conversation with them like in terms of underwriting that insurance for car sharing? Uh, we kind of we kind of already do it for our customers. We just let them deal with all of the mechanics of actually borrowing and lending the car. But would you partner with one of those companies or do you partner or is that on your horizon to partner with them to offer the insurance? No, no. So we're offering our customers the opportunity to borrow and borrow each other's yeah. cars. We're kind of in the same business, but from a different direction. Gotcha. Okay, so it's not it's not cross collaborative because I I believe that they go to a certain insurer to underwrite that for them, but I don't know how that interplays with what what you guys do. But then I guess as you said, it's it's the same problem, but tackled in two different two different ways. But like the the trend that we're kind of both. Um, both um, on or sort of riding or have spotted over the last decade is that people want to be able to share their cars more easily. And uh, we think that the best way to help people do that is to fully own the customer experience and as a result, be able to underwrite and understand the risk in a way that no one else can understand because it is a new risk and it is something that traditional insurers don't know how to price uh necessarily and they don't have enough data to be able to price it properly so we think that actually that sort of full stack approach is 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 the best way to unlocking the opportunity from all of these people and cars and all of these things that people want to do has has the advent of electric cars affected that much because insurers are sort of in the same boat there's not enough data on the cars and and oh there's plenty of data on electric cars (laughs) The data will be extremely expensive to fix is the big issue and actually extremely difficult to fix. I mean, you, you know this, right? Um, uh, if you if you crash a, a new Tesla, you're going to wait six months to get the get the replacement parts. And during that six months, you're going to have to have your customer in a hire car. Hmm. Um, that's really expensive and it needs to be paid for. So which means that some insurers just say, no, I can't be bothered. Uh, the market's too small and other insurers say, yeah, all right, fine, but it's going to be a lot for your premium. And um, that's not going to get fixed by the insurance industry. That's going to be fixed by uh, electric car companies getting big and actually building supply chains and actually being able to deliver, you know, the new bumper within, you know, 10 minutes. Like all, all of the all of the traditional motor companies, Volkswagen, you know, you can get an aftermarket part that looks exactly the same as uh, what you need that uh, was made by some other company in 10 seconds from any garage. Um, mm. But only Tesla make Tesla bumpers. And so Tesla factories have to churn them out and they're going to charge a margin on them, which means that you've got a, you've got a sort of structural problem 
in the supply chain uh, from the vertical integration that uh, electric car companies are going down uh, that is just going to cause uh, electric car insurance just to be far more expensive for a long time um, unless uh, unless they open up their supply chains, which I don't think they're going to do. And anecdotally, are you excited by the, the EV potential? I mean, obviously, the government came out talking about the sort of 2030 deadline. Um, yeah, are, is it something that gets you gets you excited? Just as a, I, I, and some... I absolutely love driving uh, uh, EVs. I've I've, I've bought, bought one recently. Um, Can we ask what fact, it is? It's a Tesla Model Three. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> you haven't uh, damaged it, the bumper, have you? Uh, not yet. I don't <laughs> want to scratch not. the rims. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a particularly good driver. Um, can't assure myself. <laughs> um, Denied every single time. Uh, exactly. I've got too much information on myself. Um, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited by the transition between internal combustion, internal combustion engines and electric cars. Electric cars are just obviously the way things need to happen there's obviously um got to be a pivot in terms of the energy infrastructure but actually i think that the energy infrastructure uh pivot can actually be helped um by the electric cars so you plug in your electric car at night and we've got too much wind blowing and you know you know the deal you can you can you can charge up the cars or discharge the cars when the wind's not blowing and then we can have renewable energy infrastructure and electric cars sort of in tandem and a great great storage system there um i think there's there's a huge opportunity there and um i'm really excited about it and i'm really excited about being part of helping people actually change the way people think about their electric car so if you if you're buying an electric car that's that's quite expensive um you kind of want to be able to lend it to your friends more easily um because it's, it's quite difficult to justify having a really expensive car sitting on the curb that you're only driving when you need to drive. And it's great to be able to uh, have, have other people in your, in your friends group uh, drive that. Uh, and I think that could actually unlock a lot more demand for electric vehicles if, if you just make it more seamless to be able to, 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 lend, to lend your car to your friends and family members. And I think uh, insurance is just a, like a hugely core component of that understanding the risk and being able to price that risk and allowing people to do that. Um, Ollie, do you want to do the, the dose? The, the dose is a, a series of, of quick fire questions. And the first one is, could, can we have a prediction for the future? Uh, customers will want products and services that better solve their needs. That's a good one. And what about a, a book tool or resource that you found useful on your journey? So uh, Paul Graham, founder of YCs, all of his essays are really fantastic. And if you're thinking about starting a business, you should read every single one of them, probably repeatedly, um, uh, and uh, and draw out what he's telling you into a, a into a sort of into a list of things to remember. Um, just it's 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 the most concentrated set of set of advice you can get. Mm. And this is we're recording this on the on the second of December. So if you could have anyone in a with anyone for dinner tonight in a restaurant, who would it be? Is that just in case I'm I choose someone who's later disgraced? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Try Cummings. To, try not to choose Lance Armstrong. <laughs> um, um, so I think I would go with um, uh, the founders of A16 
see Ben Horowitz and Mark Anderson. They've just been operating at the absolute top of their game uh, in terms of entrepreneurship for the last 20, 30 years. Some of the founders of like basic parts of the internet to today when they're like, they're funding um, huge, huge companies that are uh, are really changing the way everyone everyone uh, everyone lives. Have you pitched um, them? No, no, we're a UK company. But you, you wouldn't even try and, and put yourself on their radar or, or focus on them at some point in the future. Maybe, maybe, potentially. Do you, do you have um, ambitions beyond the UK, actually, just as a, as a tangent? So insurance uh, works very specifically in each jurisdiction and, and porting that to other jurisdictions is, is very, very difficult. We don't not have ambitions beyond the UK, but it's such a huge market that um, we want to, we want to take a very large chunk of that first, and then uh, and then subsequently we can we can we can look at other countries if uh, if we think that we can use what we've built to to solve problems for people in those countries better. Uh, and and finally, what's the best advice you've ever received? Talk to customers. Just keep talking to them. Like uh, there's 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 no limit to the amount customers can tell you about about the things that you think you know. Do you have strategies uh, for, for filtering that? Because from my experience, I found that customers are very, very eager to give feedback. Um, and there's, but there is an art to sort of separating the useful feedback from, from the slightly less useful feedback. Uh, so we've got, um, we've got over a hundred people now at cover. Um, and, uh, and, Part of that 100 people is a great research team and and actually what i require is that every single person in the whole company goes and becomes part of the research operation by watching the research videos so i'm no longer actually inventing the questions and asking them because i'll ask the wrong questions i'll ask it in a way that's too leading it's not actually mm. useful information i get back there but you have a professional who's asking the questions and you're watching that live and you're seeing the responses you're effectively talking to customers but uh through a much more scientific methodology than actually just going directly and every single person in the company um has to has to uh, has to do a couple of hours of, of watching this every uh every month so that they can directly empathize with customers and empathize with their problems and, 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 and spot what's going on ideally quicker. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, and last but not least, Freddie. So to those people who are listening, um, and excited by cover, uh, are you hiring and how can they possibly join and helping you on your mission? If there is such a thing to do, uh, we are of course hiring, uh, you can go to our website, which is www.cover.com C U V V A. Uh, and check out our careers page. And of course, the best thing that they can do is download the app and buy an hour of car insurance or a subscription to uh, to drive their own car. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really, really great having you and uh, really appreciate all your insights. Fantastic. Thanks good very to much. Good to meet you, Freddie. Yeah, really good to meet you. If you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the startup Mike, M-I-C. Or get us an email, olioed at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.